the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. Thus have I heard, once the Blessed One was dwelling in Rajagriha at Vulture Peak Mountain, together with the great gathering of the Sangha of monks and the great gathering of the Sangha of Bodhisattvas. At that time, the Blessed One entered the Samadhi that expresses the Dharma called Profound Illumination, and at the same time, Noble Avokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, while practicing the Profound Prajnaparamita, saw in this way, he saw the five skandhas to be empty of nature. And through the power of the Buddha, Venerable Shariputra said to Noble Avokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, how should a daughter of noble family train who wishes to practice the profound Prajaparamita? Addressed in this way, Noble Avokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, said to Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, son or daughter of noble family who wishes to practice the profound Prajaparamita should see in this way, seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Form is emptiness, emptiness also is form, emptiness is no other than form, form is no other than emptiness. In the same way, feeling, perception, formation, and consciousness are emptiness. Thus, Shariputra, all dharmas are emptiness. There are no characteristics. There is no birth and no cessation. There is no purity and no purity. There is no decrease and no increase. Therefore, Shariputra, in emptiness there is no form, no feeling, no perception, no formation, Consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharma, no dharmas, no mind consciousness, no ignorance, no end of ignorance up to an old age and death, no end of old age and death, no suffering, no origin of suffering, no cessation of suffering, no path, no wisdom, no attainment, and no non-attainment. Therefore, since the bodhisattvas have no attainment, they abide by means of Prajnaparamita. Since there is no obscuration of mind, there is no fear. They transcend falsity and attain complete nirvana. All the Buddhas of the three times by means of Prajnaparamita fully awaken to unsurpassable true, complete enlightenment. Therefore, the great mantra of Prajnaparamita, the mantra of great insight, the unsurpassed mantra, the unequaled mantra, the mantra that calms all suffering should be known as truth since there is no deception. The Prajnaparamita mantra is said in this way, Te Ata Gate Gate Paragate Parasangate Bodhisoha. The Shariputra, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, should train the profound Prajnaparamita. Then the Blessed One arose from that Samadhi and praised Noble Avokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, saying, Good, good, O son of noble family, thus it is, O son of noble family, thus it is. One should practice the profound Prajnaparamita, just as you have taught, and all the Tathagatas will rejoice. Blessed One said this, Venerable Shariputra, and Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, that whole assembly in the world with its gods, humans, asuras, and Gandharvas, rejoice and praise the words of the Blessed One. Mara da 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 
So we will again uh, go to the beginning of the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment by Lama Tsongkhapa. Uh, and this text is actually a commentary on Atisha's text, The Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment. And that text uh, summarizes all of Buddha's teachings, all of the pronouncements that Buddha gave in the Sutra category, in the Tantra category, Henayana and Mahayana, all of the contents of the Buddha's pronouncements can be found within the Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment that this text is a commentary on. So then if we look at all of the pronouncements of Buddha, the Sutra teachings, the Tantra teachings, the Hinayana teachings, and the Mahayana teachings, we can summarize all of those teachings into three different paths, those pathways which lead to the higher realms, those pathways which lead to liberation or nirvana, and those pathways which lead to the Buddha grounds or Buddhahood. So, in Atisha's text, it states, understand there are three kinds of persons. Because of their small, middling, and supreme capacities, I shall write clearly uh, distinguishing their individual characteristics. Uh, so here, uh, this is referring to the, the stages of the path for beings of three types of capacities. Uh, those uh, teachings that are shared in common with beings of small capacity, those teachings that are shared in common with beings of medium capacity, and the teachings for beings of great capacity. So the stages of the path for beings uh, of small capacity or that are shared in common with beings of small capacity uh, lead uh, uh, practitioners to the higher realms of rebirth. Uh, so those are called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. Uh, the stages of the path for beings of medium capacity or in common with be beings of medium capacity uh, lead the practitioner to uh, the state of nirvana or liberation. Um, and then the stages of the path for beings of great capacity are those stages which are coupled with the mind that aspires to enlightenment or bodhicitta and lead those practitioners to uh, um, a Buddhahood uh, or the Buddha grounds. Um, so this uh, falls categorically under the uh, teachings for beings of great capacity. That, that, 
So looking at the first uh, um, stage, which is the pathways which lead beings to the higher realms, uh, this requires a practitioner to engage in uh, um, three practices. The practices of engaging in the uh, refuge in the, uh, the three jewels, or going for refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Um, engaging in uh, ethics, which is an abandonment of the ten non-virtuous activities. And if one has engaged in a misdeed or a non-virtue, then acknowledging one's downfall. So by, practice, by engaging in these practices, one can uh, um, achieve rebirth into the higher realms. And this is called the pathway which leads being to the higher realms. <laughs> Then the next um, uh, stages, uh, the the next uh, stages of the path are those stages which lead beings to liberation or nirvana, um, and this requires the practitioner to um, negate the mistaken view that grasps at phenomena as being truly established, because this mistaken view is the root of cyclic existence or what. Uh, propels cyclic existence. So the opposite of this mistaken view, which is the realization that phenomena are not truly established, serves as an opponent to that mistaken view and allows one to uh, uh, eradicate uh, um, one's karma and afflictions which serve as barriers to liberation. Uh, and uh, one needs to engage in then the higher training and highest higher training in ethics and then concentration, which utilizes as its object of observation the wisdom realizing emptiness, and then the highest higher training in wisdom, which utilizes as its object of observation uh, um, emptiness. So through these practices uh, and the recognition of the lack of true establishment of phenomena, one can abandon one's karma and afflictions that create cyclic existence and suffering. <laughs> So the stages of the path for beings of great capacity are stages of the path which lead beings or practitioners to uh, the Buddha grounds or Buddhahood. Um, and through engaging in a pathway which is a union of uh, the, the, the wisdom uh, realizing emptiness in the mind that aspires to enlightenment or bodhicitta uh, that's created by wishing that sentient beings have happiness and the causes of happiness and wishing that sentient beings be free from uh, suffering and the uh, causes of suffering uh, and uh, by generating that love and compassion one uh, can uh, um, achieve that mind that aspires to enlightenment and by having the union of that with the wisdom realizing emptiness the practitioner can eradicate the grasping uh, or, or self-cherishing attitude um, and then uh, ultimately abandon not only the afflictive obstructions but the obstructions to omniscience as well that obstruct one's uh, um, uh, 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 own Buddhahood. <coughs> What does I do, Santa Jamada, and you take a shake of Chavina? Then, huh, 
So then if one has achieved the mind that aspires to enlightenment and has uh, um, love and compassion that utilizes as um, their objects of observation all sentient beings, then it's appropriate for one to engage in the stages of the tantric path, which will lead one quickly to the state of Buddhahood or to the Buddha grounds. And then once one has achieved that level of realization, then it's appropriate to engage in the yoga with and without signs and the generation and completion stages practices of tantra. <laughs> So why are uh, there these three uh, different stages of the path? Uh, why, um, uh, why are these, no, I'm sorry, why are these stages of the path why is there the potential for one to engage in, in these uh, three different stages of the path? And the reason for this potential is the fact that all sentient beings possess a mind, and the mind is defined by, uh, in the following way, that which is in the nature of clear light uh, and unsullied or unstained. So since the, men the mind uh, and the mental consciousness is by nature unsullied or stained, the potential exists for beings to engage in various path in various paths. Uh, a sentient being can engage in a pathway which leads him or her to the lower realms of cyclic existence. Uh, and, but then there are are also those stages of the path which lead beings to the higher realms of cyclic existence, and those stages of the path which lead beings to liberation, and the stages of the path which lead beings to Buddhahood. And all of these things are possible, or the potential exists for all of these realizations because of the nature of the mind that all sentient beings possess. So this is why it is stated that all sentient beings possess Buddha nature or Buddha potential. So these stages of the path, these uh, different stages of the path are there because there are those beings who are able to engage in the stages of the path which lead beings to the higher realms and those who are not able to engage in those. There are those beings who are able to engage in the stages of the path which lead to liberation and there are those sentient beings who cannot or who are not able to engage in those stages of the path. Uh, and then there are those stages of the path uh, that lead beings to uh, the state of Buddhahood that some beings are able to engage in and then others are not able to engage in. So because of these different capacities that beings have, there are these different stages of the path that have been pronounced or taught. <laughs> So the mind is like a cloth that can be cleansed. Uh, if a cloth is stained, it can eventually be completely cleaned um, of all of its stains by washing it over and over again. Likewise, the mind can be uh, um, uh, uh, cleansed or purified 
and the stains, which are the afflictive obstructions and the obstructions to omniscience, uh, can be eventually moved, removed by practicing the Dharma uh, so over and over again. In the same way, one can clean the, the one cleans a stain out of a cloth by washing it over and over again. So, uh, now going to the, the Lam Rim text, or the stage of the path uh, to enlightenment text, um, we find in the uh, introductory, in the preliminaries, where it uh, shows the two different uh, ancient traditions of explaining teachings. The Nalanda tradition that goes by way of explaining the teachings by way of the three purities, uh, and then the Vikramalashila tradition that uh, explains teachings by w uh, way of the three greatnesses. Uh, so, uh, Atisha's lamp of the path to enlightenment uh, is going to be explained uh, by way of the Vikramalashila tradition. And this is how Lama Tsongkhapa chooses to explain the teaching. And the three greatnesses are the greatness of the teacher, the greatness of the teaching uh, being taught, and then the great way to listen to and explain the teaching. Uh, so this is how we could summarize that first uh, section of the text. <laughs> so after the uh, section of uh, uh, the greatness of the teacher, which shows Atisha's liberation life story, we find the next section, which is the greatness of the teaching. Um, and then there are four divisions in that section under the greatness of the teaching. The first is that... Uh, the, te the greatness of allowing one to see that all of the teachings are free of contradiction. Uh, the second is the greatness of uh, uh, allowing uh, one uh, to see that all the instruction, uh, all of the teachings are instructions to practice. Um, the third is uh, allowing the greatness of allowing one to easily understand the conqueror's intent or the Buddha's intent or meaning. Uh, and the fourth is uh, uh, the greatness of allowing one to easily refrain from the great wrongdoing. <coughs> so the first uh, greatness is that Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment shows how all of the teachings that Buddha gave are, do not contradict one another. They are all not, they are all uh, necessarily not or uh, mutually exclusive. Um, so this is the first <coughs> greatness um, when we're, 
we're looking at a lamp for the path to enlightenment. The second greatness is that it, uh, the practitioner can recognize that all of the teachings are instructions because all the teachings are instructions uh, that show one what the causes for happiness are. So all of the Buddhist pronouncements are causes for happiness. So uh, Tisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment allows one to see that all, uh, all the teachings are instructions for practice or instructions that allow one to achieve happiness or that are the causes of happiness. The third is uh, allowing one, the greatness of allowing one to easily understand the conqueror's intent or the meaning of the Buddhist uh, pronouncements. And uh, here this is referring to uh, how uh, through reliance upon Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment, one can easily understand all of the Buddhist pronouncements of Sutra and Tantra. Uh, if one were to just look at those root texts themselves without this commentary, it would be very difficult to understand what all of the pronouncements mi mean, if we, one were to just look directly at the Buddhist speech. Um, but with Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment, one, is easy, one can easily understand the meaning of all of these scriptures. And then the fourth, uh, the greatness of allowing one to uh, automatically refrain from the great wrongdoing refers to allowing one to uh, imme um, immediately abandon the karma of abandoning the dharma, or the, the non-virtue non uh, ab called abandoning the dharma. Abandoning the dharma. Well,我覺得那,他說我的老的馬的,就你的就了你是就在這裡嘛。就你當的比,那老的他們的,就是一個人的是我,你一個人的是我。我你是就在這裡嘛,的馬的。就你一個人的,你一個人的是我的。ngo so, the next section, the great way to listen to and explain the teachings, uh, also has... Uh, various divisions. And the first is how to listen to and explain the teachings. And this refers to the great way one should listen and the great way to teach the, the actual instruction. Um, and then under the first uh, heading, which is how to listen to a teaching in which both the teaching and the author are great, uh, there are three divisions. Uh, contemplate the benefits of hearing the teaching, uh, developing reverence for the teaching and the instructor, and how to actually listen. Um, so, when we go to the first uh, section, contemplating the benefits of hearing the teaching, uh, there's a quote uh, from the verses about hearing um, uh, in the collective of the indicative uh, verses, uh, where we uh, find it, uh, a statement of the Buddha that says, Through hearing, phenomena are understood. Through hearing, wrongdoing is overcome. Through hearing, what is meaningless is eliminated. Through hearing, nirvana is attained. 
Um, so uh, in this quote, this is referring to um, uh, the three highest higher trainings and uh, the benefits of practice and the benefits of hearing specifically. Um, so here, and uh, it could also the benefits of listening to the instruction or listening to the, the Dharma. Uh, so here, the first two lines refer to the highest higher training in ethics. Through hearing, uh, phenomena are understood. Through hearing, uh, wrongdoing is overcome. Uh, so this is referring to the highest higher training in ethics. Then it says, through hearing, what is meaningless is eliminated. Uh, this is referring to the highest higher training in um, concentration. And then through hearing, nirvana is attained. This is referring to the highest higher training uh, in uh, wisdom. Uh, so this first part is referring to the Tambo Dendru Lam, the Lasun. Dendru Lam, that to be Chuna Shiva, to be Yanadeva, to be Chuna Shiva, to be Dildu, to be Lava Dendua, Lesser, to be Chuna. Okay, okay. Okay. Lesser. So then, uh, then if we look at this quote in another way, uh, the highest higher training in ethics here, uh, the two lines that refer to the highest higher training in ethics uh, could also refer, refer to the stage of the path that lead beings to the higher realms or the teachings that are shared in common with beings of small capacity. Um, and then the second, through hearing what is meaningless is eliminated, um, uh, this is referring to that highest higher training in concentration, and specifically concentration that utilizes as its object of observation emptiness. So what is meaningless is eliminated. But this also can refer to the uh, um, stages of the path that are shared in common with beings of medium capacity, or those stages of the path that lead beings to nirvana or liberation. And then through hearing nirvana is attained, uh, this can also refer um, implicitly uh, not only to the highest higher training in wisdom that utilizes as its object of observation emptiness, but also uh, to uh, the stages of the path for beings of great capacity or stages of the path which lead beings to Buddhahood. Lebanon <laughs> So then, uh, the second is how to explain a teaching in which both the teaching and the author are great. I'm sorry, uh, the second is developing reverence for the teaching and the instructor, and this is showing re respect for the teaching and the instructor. And the third is how to actually listen, uh, and then this shows how one abandons the, the three faults of a vessel or a pot, um, and then also how uh, one relies on six ideas or uh, uh, six mindsets. Um, so the first 
part uh, of abandoning the three faults or three faulty pots or three faults of a vessel uh, is referring to abandoning uh, the various negativities, such as uh, the negativity of the overturned pot, the negativity of a, a pot that is sullied, or a negativity of a pot that has a hole in it. And these are re uh, uh, exam um, uh, examples uh, that are um, given to um, explain uh, three negativities uh, one can have while listening to a teaching. First, uh, not listening, that is compared to an overturned pot. Uh, second, uh, listening uh, with a bad motivation that is compared to a sullied or a dirty pot. And then uh, the third, forgetting what is being uh, taught. And this is uh, um, um, compared to a, a leaky pot. Um, so the Buddha stated uh, in three phrases in the sutras, listen well, thoroughly, and hold it in mind. And listen well here is referring to having a proper motivation, the motivation of uh, attending uh, the instruction in order to achieve, uh, um, uh, in order to engage in the stages of the path which lead us to the higher realms, or in order to engage in the stages of the path which lead us to liberation or nirvana, and then the, in order to engage in stages of the path which ultimately lead to Buddhahood. So these are the uh, motivations that we should, a practitioner should have uh, when attending uh, an instruction and, and listening to it. Um, so, uh, um, listen well uh, is referring to that, having the proper motivation for listening uh, and, and having it not uh, stained with some sort of attachment or uh, uh, negativity. The second, thoroughly, is referring to uh, uh, listening and, and, and act to what is actually being taught. Uh, so, uh, not, um, yeah, I guess it's just as simple as that, not, not listening. So you know, listening to what is being said. And then hold it in mind is referring to not forgetting what is being instructed. Uh, so uh, the, the three pots are, are the three uh, faulty pots are uh, examples shown to, given to uh, um, explain three negativities that one should abandon while listening to a, listening to a teaching. So the next part, uh, Rinpoche is saying he's summarizing um, all of these sections for us. Uh, the next part, relying on the six ideas, uh, um, refers to first thinking of oneself as a sick person. And sick here uh, is referring to uh, the illness that we have, uh, that's, that we all have of birth, aging, sickness, and death. Uh, so these uh, sufferings that we have to experience 
are the sickness that's being referred to here. So we first have to develop the idea that we have an illness, um, that uh, we are unwell. Um, the second uh, idea that we have to um, uh, have is that the instructor or the teacher is a doctor. Uh, so the, the teacher is uh, like a doctor that's prescribing that which will cure our illness. And here we're referring to the illness of suffering. Uh, the third is the in thinking of the, the instructor's teachings as medicine, so recognizing that what is being taught is like medicine uh, being prescribed for our illness, and here the illness that we have is the illness of suffering. And fourth, thinking of earnest practice as the way to cure the disease, um, uh, is referring to the practice is how we get rid of uh, our suffering. And then the fifth, thinking as the tathagatas, as excellent beings, uh, referring to that the Buddha is the highest being in the world, is the greatest being that exists. Uh, so we have to develop this idea. And the sixth is the wish that the teaching will endure for a long time, and this is referring to the idea that uh, we wish that it remains for a long time in, in this world system, or remains uh, for a long time. Uh, so we went over this uh, um, previously, so we're, we'll go over it uh, a little bit more. So before we went over this slightly, so we'll again go over it more. Uh -huh. So in uh, the, the Tibetan, the Nishishanga, Okay, so in the Tibetan we're on page 25 now, in the English we're around page 60. Uh, and we're right in the uh, section thinking of earnest practice as the way to cure your disease. Jipa. Okay, so we're in the fourth idea, thinking of earnest practice as the way to cure your disease. Um, so, but I believe we're in on, in page 60. The Nishu Sangha. Okay. Okay, yeah, exactly where we are. We're right around after, uh, I'm not exactly where, I'm sure we're going to start, but right around the um, quote from Chandigroman's praise of confession. So right after that. Thus the idea of yourself as a sick person. What to be called uh, page 26 now in the Tibetan, uh, just going a little further, uh, Rinpoche said, uh, and it's going to be page 61 uh, in the English. Uh, it says, even if you have heard a great deal, there's a quote from the verses about hearing. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's about the middle of page 61 where we're going to. Okay, so uh, 
Okay, so now in the verses about hearing, it says, Even if you have heard a great deal, if you are not well restrained by ethical discipline, then because you're ethical disciplined, you are scorned, and your hearing is not eth uh, excellent. So when uh, speaking of ethical discipline, uh, there are, is the outward disciplines and inward disciplines that uh, one engages in. And then when we look at outward disciplines, we find the individual liberation vows that the Buddha set forth. Uh, and there are uh, eight types of individual liberation vows. There are three uh, types of individual liberation vows for a householder or that uh, um, uh, a householder can hold. Uh, and then there are uh, five types of individual liberation vows that are for those who have gone forth or, or become ordained. So the first individual liberation vow of the householder is the 24-hour vow, uh, individual liberation vow. The second refers to the um, uh, individual liberation vow that is specifically called the householder vow of the male and the householder vow of the female. Uh, so these three are the householder's individual liberation vows. And then there are the five uh, um, non-householder or the five uh, um, vows for those who have gone forth. Uh, and the first is the um, novice nun's vow. The second is the novice monk's vow. The third is the probationary <coughs> nun's vow. The fourth is the fully ordained nun's vow. And the fifth is the fully ordained monk's vow. <coughs> Uh, so these five are um, the five uh, <coughs> uh, 
uh, um, individual liberation vows or those five, the five vows for those who have gone forth. Uh, so these are outward vows or outward disciplines. And then the inward disciplines are referring to uh, the mind that aspires to enlightenment. <coughs> uh, and then the, the tantric disciplines that are more inward <coughs> realizations and disciplines that are uh, uh, not considered the outward vows. Um, uh, so the others uh, and then the tantric are more secret, uh, um, secret uh, inner practices whereas the individual liberation vows are more outward practices of ethical discipline. So, again, the verses about hearing says, even if you have heard a great deal, if you are not well restrained by ethical discipline, then because you're ethical disciplined, you are scorned, uh, and your hearing is not ec excellent. Because of your lack of ethical discipline, and just add that in there, you, you are scorned, and your hearing is not eth uh, excellent. Even though you have heard very little, if you are well restrained by ethical discipline, then because you're ethical disciplined, because of your d ethical discipline, you are praised, uh, and your hearing is excellent. Persons who have not heard much and are also not well restrained by ethical discipline are scorned on both accounts, and their conduct is not excellent. Those who have heard a great deal and are also well restrained by ethical discipline are praised on both accounts, and their conduct is excellent. So this word excellent is a, a specific word in Tibetan that uh, is a very big word. It's a translator's note. Uh, so this, the word excellent uh, is punsutsopa. It means it has all the, the, the qualities, the, the top qualities that it can possess. Uh, so this word excellent is specific to a Tibetan word that means that. Uh, the, the top qualities that it can possibly possess. The highest qualities that it can possess. <laughs> ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっと、ちょっ
has uh, heard a great deal of teachings but uh, does not apply them uh, and doesn't engage in ethical discipline, then his or her hearing is not of the highest quality. So uh, this first uh, stanza refers to one who has heard a great deal but does not have ethical discipline. Um, so therefore, uh, the conclusion is that the hearing that he or she has is not excellent. Uh, and then the second stanza says, even though you have heard very little, if you are not well restrained by ethical discipline, then because your ethical discipline, uh, because of your ethical discipline, you are praised and your hearing is excellent. So if you've only heard a small amount of teachings, uh, but uh, you are restrained and, and have ethical discipline, then your hearing is considered the, the highest quality of hearing, the most excellent hearing. So then it says, persons who have not heard much and are also not well restrained by ethical discipline are scorned on both accounts and their conduct is not excellent. Uh, so uh, here, if someone hasn't uh, um, listened to many teachings um, and then also is not restrained uh, and does not have ethical discipline, then both accounts are not excellent. Um, so the hearing is not excellent uh, and their conduct itself is not excellent. Uh, because their hearing is not excellent uh, and their ethical discipline is not excellent, the, this word conduct is translating another word in Tibetan which kind of summarizes their way of being, or the, which conduct means, obviously, but their way of being, period, is not excellent. Uh, so neither uh, of those things are, are, are good. And then it says, those who have heard a great deal and are also well restrained by ethical discipline are praised on both accounts and their conduct is excellent. Um, so uh, they have uh, restrained, so their ethical discipline is excellent. Uh, and they've listened to very well, listened to a great deal of teachings, so their hearing is excellent, so that means that their general way of being, their conduct is excellent, or of the highest quality. Then <laughs> So, 
though you might understand the heart of the scriptures, this is also from the same uh, verses about hearing, though you might understand the heart of the scriptures through hearing and might know the core of meditative concentration, such hearing and knowledge are of little import if, you wi if wildly you engage in coarse behavior. Those who delight in the teachings taught by noble beings and practice accordingly with body and speech, who have patience, delight their friends and are restrained, they will attain the perfection of hearing and knowledge. The, and so here it's saying, uh, even if one uh, understands the texts uh, and has very well, has uh, um, analyzed the texts very well um, uh, um, uh, through hearing, uh, um, so has analy analyzed actually because of hearing, um, and then might know the core of meditative concentration uh, and might uh, have been able to achieve states of meditative concentration uh, or and understand the essence of meditative concentration. Uh, it says, such hearing and knowledge are of little import if wildly you engage in coarse behavior. So if one engages uh, in unethical behavior and acts very wildly and, and is not um, restrained, uh, then his or her hearing uh, and understanding of the scriptures uh, and meditative concentration and understanding of meditation concentration will be of really little meaning. So then, those who delight in the teachings taught by noble beings, those who have, uh, I'll do line by line, those who uh, have a great, find joy in, in uh, listening in the teachings taught by the superior beings or the uh, Arya beings, and practice accordingly with body and speech. So the, when we look at action, there are actions of our mind, and there are uh, actions of our body and actions of our speech. Um, and if we look at non-virtuous activities, um, there are three negativities of the body, four negativities of uh, the speech, and three negativities of the mind. Um, and it says practicing accordingly means the opposite the opposite of engaging in negativity, practicing the ethics, which is an abandonment of those negativities. So practicing accordingly is uh, practicing what is taught by the noble beings and those ethics that are taught. And then it says, uh, um, who have patience, delight their friends and are restrained. So um, have uh, patience, and those who have patience and who engage in outward ethical behavior tend to be liked by their friends. Uh, and it says, and are restrained, and here it refers to mindfulness and abandonment of unethical behavior, they will attain the perfection of hearing and knowledge. And the perfection of hearing and knowledge refers to the state of Buddhahood, because the ultimate uh, um, uh, 
uh, knower and the ultimate hearer is uh, the all-knowing being uh, or Buddha. Um, so uh, this last line refers to uh, the um, uh, achievement of that state uh, because of having these other qualities that are previously mentioned. So, uh, the next is a quote from the Exhortation to Wholehearted Resolve. Uh, and it says, The foolish are sorrowful at the time of death, saying, My practice was poor, now what is to be done? Not having found depth, they will suffer greatly. Such are faults of delighting in just words. So this is referring to the, the person who uh, um, listens to a great deal of teachings, uh, studies and understands a great deal of the instructions, but fails to practice any of the things that have been taught. Um, and that type of practitioner, at his or her time of death, because of knowing all of these things and having heard all of the instructions, uh, he or she will understand that their practice was not what it should be. Um, and um, uh, a great deal of, it says here, uh, my practice was poor, now what is to be done? Because the time of death is there, there's no more time to practice. And it says, not having found death, they, depth, they will suffer greatly, suffering greatly because of understanding the teachings and having listened to the teachings. And it says, such are the faults of just delighting, of delighting in just words. Uh, so just having this intellectual um, understanding of things um, and delighting in this intellectual understanding and, and what one has heard, but not actually applying the instructions that are being given or practicing them. Uh, so these are, uh, uh, this is the meaning of this stanza here from the exhortation to the wholehearted resolve. Cassette, Jaygu. Yeah. Uh, so now... Uh, Looks like we have to change the cassette, so we're going to take a five-minute break. If anyone needs to stand up and stretch, uh, um, and then I think tea will be coming out. Uh, that way, we don't uh, interrupt any of the teaching or any of the introductory prayers uh, for that. So we'll take a five-minute. <laughs> Oh, that's how you do it. 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 That's
It says then also, like an actor before an audience watching a show, Rinpoche said, or a singer uh, before an audience watching a show, or like describing the good qualities of someone else who is a hero, you fall from earnest practice yourself. Such faults are of delighting in just the words. Uh, so uh, that's where we are. Uh, so here it is uh, uh, um, uh, someone who is just observing what is going on. Uh, um, um, uh, um, uh, or, uh, hold on one second. The younger son, Then <laughs> So it says, like an actor before an audience uh, watching a show, or like describing the good qualities of someone else who is a hero. So Rinpoche said that's like uh, someone who is uh, um, putting on a show of some sort. Um, and if the show uh, and, uh, um, and was... Uh, I know what Rinpoche is saying, I just want to put it as clearly as possible. If the show itself is compared to someone describing uh, the qualities such as of Buddha Shakyamuni or describing the qualities of Nag Nagarjuna, if they're just on stage uh, describing these qualities and saying that Buddha Shakyamuni is amazing because of this and uh, Nagarjuna is amazing because of this, uh, uh, etc., uh, they're like an actor who is just uh, pretending uh, um, to have the qualities um, that the um, beings possess that they are speaking of. Um, and if that person then just spoke of those qualities and pretended to have those qualities but didn't actually practice, um, it would, uh, um, it's a non-virtue, it's a negativity, um, and it's called the fault of delighting in just words, or the fault of, of it just being words and not being anything beyond that, not being practice or earnest practice. So the actor here is the actor pretending to, uh, uh, in front of an audience, pretending to be something that they're not. They, so pretending to be uh, uh, what they're not. And Rimchi is the word fake or fraudulent. <laughs> Ranchin 
Okay, so the husk of a sugarcane stalk has no substance at all. The taste that delights is inside. Through eating the husk, this delicious taste of molasses cannot be found. Just as it is with the husk, so it is with the words. The taste is in uh, con contemplating the meaning. Therefore, giving up, give up delighting in just the words. Always be conscientious and reflect on the meaning. Then the the papa ngarmo nangla ngarmo yomare injike ngarm nangla ngarmo yore the papa ah okay Dixon, Dixon. So here, the husk of a sugarcane stalk has no substance at all. So the skin of the sugarcane, the uh, papa, the skin or the outer layer of a sugarcane, uh, we could find, Rinpoche said, in Tibet or in, in India, uh, we have these. Um, it uh, doesn't have a very, very much sweetness to it. Um, it's really the inside of the sugarcane where we find... Uh, the essence of what it is, and that's the that we're the essence of what we're looking for, and that's the sweet part of the sugarcane. Uh, so it says here, the taste that delights is inside. Through eating the husk, the delicious taste of molasses cannot be found. So if we're just eating the outside of the sugarcane, uh, we don't get to really taste the sweet part of it. There's maybe a little sweetness there, but there isn't the true sweet part. Likewise, if we're just listening to the teachings, but we're not really um, um, going further and practicing the instructions that are be being given, we're not truly uh, tasting or um, uh, understanding the essence of the teaching itself in the same way that we're not able to uh, taste the essence of the sugar uh, um, unless we go to the inside of the sugar cane. Likewise, we must not only listen um, and uh, um, understand the meaning of the words, but also practice those words. And the practice itself is compared to the inside of the sugar cane, where the true sweetness is. Okay, so in, uh, we find in Panchen Sanandrapa's uh, collection of works, a uh, text on Madhyamika that states that there are two kinds of bodhicitta, um, uh, sugarcane bodhicitta uh, and real uh, bodhicitta. 
bodhicitta that is like a sugar cane and bodhicitta that is not uh, like a sugar cane. Mulan, yeah, the, okay, so one should uh, um, also uh, it says Mulan Kabiare. Oh, okay, okay. So it, not only we should. So uh, one can't practice all of the, the teachings at once. Uh, one has to um, practice what he or she can at that time. Um, and then the things that one cannot practice at that time, one should make um, aspirations to be able to do so later. And we previously went over that. Um, uh, um, so one should practice according to his or her capacity, um, and then uh, make aspirations or dedicate dedications that one will be able to, in the future, practice the other things. And so the, now we're at the fifth section. It says, think of the Tathagatas as excellent beings. Uh, think, think of those who have gone forth as excellent beings, thus, or those thus gone. Develop respect by remembering the one who set forth the teaching, the Bhagavan, the Buddha. So the Buddha um, taught the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity, shared in common with beings of medium capacity, the teachings for beings of great capacity, the Buddha taught the two truths, the four noble truths. So the highest being in the world, the greatest being in the world, is Buddha Shakyamuni, is the Buddha. And the reason for this it is, be, is because Buddha Shakyamuni alone is the one who taught the four noble truths. So we find this sign set forth in uh, the, um, compendi- the commentary to the Compendium of Valid Cognition by Dharmakirti, where it states that this is the sign that he is the highest, because he alone is the teacher of the four noble truths. Um, so this is the the meaning of this, thinking of the Tathagatas as excellent beings um, and recognizing that the Buddhas are the highest beings. They have achieved the highest level that a being can achieve. So in the second chapter of uh, the Pramana, Dharmakirti's Pramana Bhartaka Karika, the commentary to the Compendium of Valid Cognition, Dharmakirti states that uh, uh, Buddha Shakyamuni alone is the refuge for all sentient beings because he is the only one who has shown the two uh, uh, 
two cause and effect relationships within the Four Noble Truths. The, t the first being how one is bound to cyclic existence, and the second being how one is free from or unbound from cyclic existence. So Dharmakirti states that Shakyamuni alone is the one who has pronounced these two cause and effect relationships. What Choose <laughs> Ranke Number six is the wish, uh, the idea that is a wish that the teaching will endure for a long time. And think how wonderful if, in dependence upon studying such teachings, the conqueror's teachings would remain in the world for a long time. Furthermore, when you explain or hear the teachings, if your mind and the teachings remain separate, then whatever is explained will be inconsequential. Hence, listen in such a way that you determine how these teachings apply to your mind. For example, when you want to find out whether or not there is some smudge, dirt, or whatever on your face, you look in the mirror and then remove whatever there is there. Similarly, when you listen to the teachings, your faults, such as misconduct and attachment, appear in the mirror of the teachings. At that time, you regret that your mind has become like this, and you then work to clear away those faults and establish good qualities. 
Hence, you must train in the teachings. And then there's a quote from the Garland of Birth Stories, the Jera, the Jatakamala. Uh, it says, uh, When I see the form of my misconduct clear in the mirror of the teachings, I develop a feeling of regret and turn my mind toward the teachings. And it says, With this statement, Sadasa requested the prince Sudasoma bestow the teachings. Thereupon, the Bodhisattva prince, knowing Sudasada's state of mind, that is, knowing that Sudasada became suitable for hearing the teachings, gave him the teachings. In brief, developed the spirit of enlightenment, thinking, uh, for the sake of all living beings, I will attain Buddhahood. In order to attain this, I must train in its causes. For this, I must know those causes. For this, it is evident that I must hear the teachings. Therefore, I will listen to the teachings. Remember the benefits of hearing. Eliminate the faults of a vessel and so forth, and listen with great delight. Uh, so here... Uh, one needs to uh, develop the idea that in dependence upon the teachings, uh, all forms of happiness can be achieved. So, um, uh, and we also, it says, how wonderful if in dependence upon studying such the teachings, the conqueror's teachings would remain in the world for a long time. Uh, why is it important that they remain in the world for the uh, long time? And the reason uh, and uh, that... Uh, we uh, should think about is that in dependence upon all of the Dharma teachings, uh, ourselves and all sentient beings uh, achieve the state of happiness. Uh, so when we look at the um, uh, four immeasurables that state, may all sentient beings have happiness in the causes of happiness, may all sentient beings be free from suffering in the causes of suffering, uh, may all sentient beings never be separated from the happiness that knows no suffering, and may all sentient beings live in equanimity free from attachment and aversion. When we look at the first two statements, may all sentient beings be free, uh, have happiness in the causes of happiness, may all sentient beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering, the Dharma is that which is the cause of happiness for sentient beings. Uh, so it's independence upon the cause of the cause, uh, which is the Dharma, that all sentient beings have happiness. And it's for that reason that we should wish that it endures for a long time or remains in this world uh, for a long time because uh, it is the cause of all happiness for beings and it also is the uh, opponent for all sufferings for all sentient beings. So here it says, For this, the sake of all living beings I will attain Buddhahood, which is the mind that aspires to enlightenment being presented here. Um, and it says, uh, in order to attain this, I must train in its causes. For this, I must know those causes. For this, it is evident that I must hear the teachings. Therefore, I will listen to the teachings. So the wish is that they stay in the world for a long time uh, because the <coughs> teachings are the causes of happiness. And the idea that we should have is that we're listening so that this result happens, so that these teachings remain uh, and do not disappear. And that's for that reason that we're um, listening uh, to these teachings. So the Dharma is similar to a mirror. Uh, if we had 
uh, weren't sure if we had a black mark on our face, we would immediately go to a mirror and check, and we would be able to see if there was a black mark. Uh, likewise, we all possess excellent qualities as well as negative qualities, as well as faults. Um, so the Dharma serves as a mirror for us to really look at ourselves in, uh, and to see whether or not we're uh, engaging in faulty behavior or engaging in excellent behavior. Um, and then once we analyze it using the mirror of the Dharma, we then turn away from the, the negative behavior or our faults and we then try to accumulate all of the excellent qualities that we can, or we try to take on all the excellent qualities that we can. So we use the Dharma as a mirror, as a frame of reference, uh, 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 for uh, a frame of reference for us to understand how we should behaving, we should be behaving, and what good qualities are and what faults are. <laughs> so then we can look at the Dharma and say. I'm doing this, this is a negativity. Uh, I'm doing this, this is an excellent quality. And we can stop doing what's negative and we can uh, continue to do what is positive. Then, Tambo the Dang Drapo, Bugare, Tambo Nipasumbo, Bu, then a Dixon. Tambo so um, I'm going to do the best I can with this. I remember this from many years ago. Uh, uh, that there are three different kinds of ornaments, and uh, the teachings are compared to uh, the three ornaments. Uh, uh, the first ornament is the natural ornament, um, and that ornament is compared to the natural beauty that a boy or a girl or someone might possess uh, without any adornments or anything. Uh, so the na a natural ornament. Uh, the second is a, a, uh, um, a, a, 
an adorning ornament. So it's compared to uh, putting on some sort of jewelry or rings or uh, something that adorns uh, uh, um, a body that becomes uh, um, an, an external adornment of some sort that's not naturally there. Uh, and the third is a clarifying uh, ornament. Um, so the first type of ornament is compared to the, the pronouncements of the Buddha, of the Sutra and the Tantra teachings. So that's the natural uh, ornament. Uh, the second ornament, which is uh, um, uh, compared to uh, earrings or jewelry, uh, would be uh, the lamp for the path to enlightenment, uh, the, the text itself, which is, is like uh, an ornament on the teachings themselves, uh, so an adornment to the teachings. Uh, and then the third would be the actual teachings, uh, the clarifying ornament, is compared to a mirror, which are the actual teachings on the stages of the path for beings of uh, three capacities, of small, medium, and great. Uh, so the first ornament is uh, an example uh, and compared to the teachings or pronouncements of Buddha. The second ornament is compared to uh, uh, the, the lamp for the path to enlightenment, the root text itself. Uh, and then the, the third is uh, com uh, compared to the three paths uh, the, uh, for beings of three capacities uh, that are explained within that, uh, that serve as a, a mirror, Rinpoche said. So, I'm sorry if any of those are the technical terms for the three ornaments, but I think that the meaning was uh, extracted. So in the in the Abhisama Alamkara, the Maitreya's ornament for clear realization, we find these three ornaments, uh, and uh, it's similar to what we just explained in uh, the meaning in that text as well. That's what I was looking for. Rimshi said the meaning of it is most important. Jenjata, Okay, uh, so the, uh, if we look at the Abhisama Alamkara uh, and we look at ornaments, uh, the first ornament would be uh, the natural ornament, which is referring to the perfection of wisdom sutras, the 100,000 verse perfection of wisdom sutra, the 20,000 verse perfection of wisdom sutra, the 8,000 verse perfection of wisdom sutra, the heart sutra, uh, these perfection of wisdom sutras would be the natural ornament. 
the uh, adorning ornament uh, would be the eight chapters or the eight topics of the Abhisama Alamkara, which would be uh, um, like a jewelry that would, would be put on. Uh, so the first, the natural ornament is like the beauty of a form of a boy or a girl, uh, a natural beauty that they possess. Uh, and again, the perfection of wisdom sutras. The second, the adorned uh, uh, ornament, or the adorning ornament, is uh, the eight chapters or the eight topics of the Abhisama Alamkara, uh, which summarize those perfection of wisdom sutras. Um, and then the clarifying ornament, I think those are the three technical names. The clarifying ornament uh, would refer specifically to the Abhisama Alamkara, the ornament for clear realization um, in this case. Uh, um, because it's within the ornament for clear realization that one is able to see all of these uh, topics and all of these um, uh, the meanings uh, contained within the perfection of wisdom sutras and it becomes like a mirror. Uh, so the text itself is like a mirror. The eight topics are like the adornments and the perfection of wisdom is the natural ornament. <laughs> So if we look at it in terms of the lamp for the path to enlightenment, the natural uh, ornament would be all of the sutra, tantra teachings, the Hinayana teachings, the Mahayana teachings. Uh, this would be the natural ornament uh, contained within the lamp for the path to enlightenment. Uh, the Jenchir Dandrabhuta. Uh, so then the, okay, so then the, uh, the second, the adorning ornament would be the um, stages of the path for beings of three capacities, the stages of the path for beings of small, medium, and great capacity. These would be the adorning ornaments for the lamp for the path to enlightenment, looking at it in that context. And the so the lamp for the path to enlightenment alone would be like a mirror, which would be like a clarifying ornament. In dependence upon uh, the lamp for the path to enlightenment, uh, uh, one can understand the meaning of all of the uh, Sutra, Tantra, and Hinayana and Mahayana uh, teachings. So that is the meaning of, of this. Karma Ju Yure, the Triwa. Yeah, okay. The Diksun. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, so we have 10 minutes left to uh, spend a question submitted that uh, are within the framework of actually what we're going over. So we're going to address those uh, quickly. Um, it says analytical meditation is uh, uh, some uh, meditation is called analytical meditation. Is number two of the three analytical meditation? If it is, can you explain the difference between analyze and meditate? Uh, so, um, just go over some of the topics within here. Gom donagare, jegom dangom chapagare, the gom laena gatsire, the jegom donagare. Now, gom said the road, the yawning out of the temple, the jet on the two combinants. Now, gonjai, gonjai chu, and a larin down, and a carbuni, and a dog, and a gonjate, yawning out of sun dam. Again, I get sun dam at the gono. Mm-hmm. 
so looking at the word meditation itself, uh, which also can be translated as to familiarize, uh, meditation is thinking about something again and again and again. Uh, so this is uh, meditation. So familiarizing oneself with something over and over uh, becomes meditation. So when we uh, familiarize ourselves uh, with such topics as uh, emptiness, the mind that aspires to enlightenment, refuge, ethics, uh, acknowledging one's downfalls, uh, and looking at the correct signs that establish these things, uh, and looking at them over and over again, this is called meditation, by um, uh, uh, looking at these topics um, and reflecting on these topics or familiarizing one with these topics over and over again. So this would fall categorically under meditation. So then if we look specifically at analytical meditation, uh, analytical meditation is referring to, if we were to uh, look at the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge, um, and then we find many those negations, there is no eye, no ear, no nose. If we were then to think about those negations and to understand why these negations were made and analyze the meaning and use correct signs such as these subjects that are negated are not truly established because they dependently originate. Uh, so these negations necessarily are referring to uh, um, the lack of true establishment of these objects and using dependent origination as a sign and using the fact that these uh, things come into being through dependent origination and then are become a collection that then is n be serves as a basis of designation and then is name then are named as this or that uh, but there is no uh, um, establishment that can be found exclusive of the naming of that collection. So by analyzing uh, the meaning of something such as the Heart Sutra uh, uh, in that specific way, one is engaging in what is called analytical meditation. <laughs> Mm. So the second, uh, then another category of meditation, the, there are two categories. The first category of meditation is analytical meditation. The second is uh, single-pointed meditation or fixed meditation. And this is referring to utilizing one specific object of observation uh, to single-pointedly focus on or uh, have, have as one's sole focus or only focus. So one can use, for instance, the, uh, um, um, body, the, form, the body of a Buddha or the form of Buddha Shakyamuni Buddha uh, or, uh, for instance, the um, uh, mantra garland, uh, meditating specifically on that. 
so when one uh, engages in a meditation that is on is single pointed or fixed on one object, then this type of uh, meditation is called uh, um, fixed meditation or single pointed meditation. So it's not some this uh, uh, meditation is not something that's exclusive to. Uh, the Buddhist tradition, we find concentration levels in many non-Buddhist traditions. So in the uh, Christian tradition, one could use Jesus, for instance, as his or her object of observation of fixed meditation, and Jesus on the cross uh, um, as the object of observation uh, for that fixed type of meditation. So, Buddha has given many different instructions and to combat afflictions. So the Buddha stated uh, that if one has a, a bigger problem with anger, then meditation or familiarization uh, with love becomes serves as an opponent. If one has a, a, a bigger problem with attachment, uh, then meditation upon ugliness or impurity uh, serves as an opponent. If one has a greater uh, um, problem with um, ignorance, then meditation upon dependent origination or familiarization with dependent origination serves as an opponent. If one has a, a greater problem with pride, then uh, meditation or familiarization with um, uh, impermanence serves as an opponent. And then if one has a, a greater problem with conceptuality or busyness of the mind, then meditation upon the breath becomes an opponent or an antidote. <laughs> So now moving to the second question about how to incorporate the breath into the practice. Uh, one is focused um, specifically when doing that med meditation on the in and out of the breath that's taking place. So that meditation becomes fixed or focused on that. And in the tantric tradition, uh, it's stated that the mind actually rides on the winds themselves. So by focusing specifically um, on the breathing in and out, one is fixing his or her mind uh, because of the fact that in tantra it rides on the winds. Um, so uh, this is the importance of this uh, focusing on the breathing in and out. Uh, because it fixes the mind uh, while uh, also uh, allowing one to fixes the mind because of the object of observation that one is uh, uh, familiarizing him or herself with. <laughs> So the mind itself is like a crazy elephant that's running here and there and doing whatever it wants to, running to whatever it is attached to. And the uh, meditation becomes like a rope that ties that crazy elephant up 
and stops it from running around. So in the Lam Rim teachings, we find this picture of the <coughs> elephant that's growing up these various stages, um, and it's the meaning is very similar to what was explained. So we would even say if one is thinking about attachment over and over again, he's meditating on attachment. Or if one is obsessed or thinking over and over again about attachment, that's meditation on attachment. One is uh, thinking over and over again what this person did or that person uh, did, and uh, about anger. Then this becomes meditation upon anger. So in Buddhism, it is the mind that creates all experiences. Uh, so uh, in dependence upon this mind, we can get to achieve rebirth in the higher realms, achieve liberation in Buddhahood, because the mind is the creator of all these things. So in other traditions, in the Christian tradition, the Hindu tradition, the Jew, uh, Jewish tradition, the Muslim tradition, there is an idea of a creator God that uh, makes these experiences occur. These are the diff these are little uh, these are differences that we have with the uh, these other traditions. But uh, other um, parts of the Dharma or religion are all very similar. So it's very similar because in other traditions, if one goes for refuge to God and has faith, then one can go to the higher realms or to heaven. So it's very similar now. So in Buddhism, if we go for refuge to the three jewels, it's stated that one is able to achieve the rebirth into the, high, the higher realms of the gods, humans, and uh, demigods. Uh, so we find a similar concept uh, within Buddhism. And then eventually, the Tarpadang, the Sanjay Lasun, and we can achieve uh, also the liberation and complete Buddhahood. So it's in dependence upon this faith and refuge that we, as a basis, that we uh, are able to achieve these goals, uh, even in Buddhism. So it's our mind that we really have to be careful of. It's our mind that we have to uh, pay attention to. If we pay attention to and are careful with our mind in uh, this life and in future lives, we will have good experiences. Oh, yeah, didn't it? Okay. So, and then how to practice means what we've been teaching here to think about a lot. So 
So, um, uh, it states another uh, thing, another practice that we can do uh, that's very helpful is uh, the giving and taking practice or uh, tonlen meditation. And this uh, is, uh, uh, we, in, in this meditation, we imagine that the, as we exhale, the wind coming out of our left nostril is in the form of a white light, giving all sentient beings all of our root virtues and forms of happiness. Uh, and this becomes a meditation upon a love. Uh, so the exhalation or the giving part is giving love uh, uh, and giving all of our root virtues. Um, and then as we inhale, we imagine a black light we're inhaling and taking on all of the non-virtues uh, uh, and negativities that uh, the sentient beings have um, um, and removing and bringing them to a state uh, that is free of suffering. And this becomes a meditation upon compassion. So uh, meditation and upon giving and taking, uh, the giving referring to uh, meditation upon love and the taking referring to meditation upon compassion uh, is also a very good uh, practice we can do and incorporate the wind uh, or the breathing uh, uh, and, and because we can incorporate the wind or breathing meditation uh, into that practice and couple it with uh, love and compassion. Okay. Yeah. Okay? So let's do the concluding mandala offering and dedication prayers. Uh, only in English. There's the ornament for clear realization. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon, I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure land. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrava to shine forever. I send forth this mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful elements are attendant Yatso. May you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of precious Thank you, everyone, for coming.